There's a model of heaven down here below. It's a picture of glory sublime. With the glorious body of Christ our dear Lord, live here on creation of thine. Our Savior has given the sweet sacrifice for a bitter and sinful old tree. You hung between heaven and earth, my dear Lord. Increase my devotion to Thee. The down here, it just gives us a glimpse of lovely and marvelous scenes. That heavenly city is calling me home, that wonderful place of my God. Our Savior has given the sweet sacrifice, what a bitter and sinful old tree. You hung between heaven and earth, my dear Lord, increase my devotion to Thee. Oh, what a reunion we'll have that glad day, the face of our God we'll all see. Those loved ones we'll hold in our arms once again, in that wonderful place of our God. Our Savior has given the sweet sacrifice, what a bitter and sinful old tree. You hung between heaven and earth, my dear Lord, increase my devotion to Thee. The church is that model of heaven for me. I love to be with them and sing. The word to proclaim it delights my poor heart. And we show how the lost may be free. Our Savior has given the sweet sacrifice. What a bitter and sinful old tree. You hung between heaven and earth, my dear Lord, increase my devotion to Thee. Please help me give, O oh God, today, oh help me now to serve this way, oh help me to know just what here I reap and as I sow, oh help me be an example true, and help me show my love for you, oh guide my hands to serve today, such love unmatched I'll never sacrifice I want to please. Oh, help me begin down on my knees. I love you, Lord. My spirit exclaims, my greedy hands can be reclaimed. Oh, help me be an example true. And help me show my love for you. Oh, guide my hands to serve today. Such 
such love unmatched, I'll never repay. So last week we looked at early church worship and kind of a few different passages that showed us at least somewhat what that would look like. You might have noticed that we skipped over one important time, uh, one important day actually, and that is the very first day. What did the early church worship look like from day one? Now, to look at that, we have to go back to Acts chapter 2. So let's look at that together. Acts chapter 2, uh, what we see on that day is that it's the day of Pentecost, and which is a Jewish festival. And we kind of looked at that before. So it was the early church was all Jewish. But in that setting, something amazing happened. That's whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and they start speaking in unknown tongues, unknown languages. And then that gives them an opportunity to proclaim the gospel message and to explain what's going on and to explain that the Holy Spirit is pouring out uh, himself on all of the believers at this time. So in Acts chapter 2, among this sermon that we have recorded by, uh, it's actually what Peter uh, is the one that states, uh, we also find out from the text that. The other apostles are also preaching at the same time, but we get what Peter proclaimed. And what Peter proclaimed in Acts chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 29. We're going to see some of this sermon here, and we're going to notice the beginning of the church. Verses 29 and following. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. So now we are going to focus a lot on these last few verses, the verses that are here on the slide in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. That's going to be the, the main emphasis about what the early church worship looked like from day one. 
because up to this point, uh, the church wasn't really what we know it to be. Now, I mean, you know, you can you can recognize that there were believers in Jesus Christ and there were followers of Jesus Christ up to this point, but there wasn't really something called the church, not until Acts chapter two, whenever they responded to this message of Peter, they recognized they had messed up, at least their fellow Israelites had messed up. Israel as a nation had rejected their Messiah and had chose to crucify him in, instead of worship him. So what were they going to do? Well, they were told what to do. They were told to repent and they were told to be baptized. And those who accepted that message, 3,000 of them, they received that message and they obeyed what, what Peter told them. And then this group of believers, what did it look like whenever they worshiped God? Well, we see what I'm going to focus on, at least four main things that we see the early church doing from day one. Let's look at them together. The first thing here is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, uh, before we get into to, uh, great detail about each one of these four things, what I do want to point out is this is an example of what the early church did. There's something that we can learn from it, and I think the four things that we're going to look at are things that we most certainly should be doing as well today perhaps in slightly different ways than what they did, but we'll get into that as, as we uh, continue on. But yet, some of the ways that they, they fulfilled these things and what the early church looked like, like, for example, um, the examples that we see of them kind of donating all that they had in order to, to give to everyone, uh, there are some principles to learn from that. However, the exact following their examples are not required for us uh, throughout the rest of of the church history, because if you if you look at the rest of the book of Acts, you find out that not everybody in the church always did this whenever they became Christian. So like when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean you have to, like what verse 45 says, doesn't mean you have to sell all of your property and all of your possessions. Uh, that That's not the type of lifestyle that we have to live. Now, if you so choose to do that, I mean, that's fine. But what we do see is that there is there are principles to understand from but the exact way that they did it, it might look a little different for us. But let's look at these things that we would have in common with them first. The first thing is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, this is one that we most certainly still need to be devoted to today. However, the way that we devote ourselves to them might look a little different than the early church. Let me give you this you know, statement. I, you already recognize this, but the apostles were still alive during the time of Acts 2. I mean, it's one of the apostles that was even proclaiming this message. So in order for them to devote themselves to the apostles' teachings, they had the apostles with them. We don't have the apostles with us today. I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing that does make us a little different. But can we still devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings? I believe we can. But we have to understand what the apostles' teachings are in order for us to understand how we can be devoted to them. So what did the apostles teach? Well, at the end of Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 28, here what we have is uh, what, what we oftentimes call the Great Commission. But in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, we read this. Then Jesus came to them, that is the apostles, the, the disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
So what we see about the apostles teaching is they were given this command. They were given this commission by Jesus Christ himself that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to Jesus. Well, because of that authority and based on that authority, he sends them out into the world, into all nations. That's what he says in verse 19, make disciples of all nations. So that's what they were to do. But even more importantly than that, what we find out after they teach them and make disciples, they're called to baptize them. But then after that, in verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's Jesus speaking. So the apostles' teachings, what that was is that was simply relaying the message, teaching everything teaching to obey everything that Jesus Christ himself said. So if you want to know what the apostles' teachings really were, um, yes, we can look throughout the, the letters in the New Testament. We can find out some things about the apostles' teachings. But really, if you want to get at the actual heart of what's going on with the teaching of the apostles, they were taught to teach what Jesus taught. That's kind of a weird way of saying that. But yeah, they were taught to teach what Jesus taught. What did Jesus teach? Read the Gospels any one of them. Just, just pick one of them up, read through it, and you will find out what some of these things are uh, that are commanded of us today. So that's what the apostles' teaching is. That's what it means. Um, and yes, like I said before, it might take a little different, uh, it might look a little different for us today because we don't have the apostles with us. We can still be devoted to the apostles' teaching by being devoted to the teaching of Jesus. We see evidence of this throughout the scriptures, though, too, not just at, at the end of Matthew's gospel. And to that, we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and notice how uh, Paul talks about uh, receiving this teaching from the apostles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But notice this language that he uses. And by the way, we'll see another example that uses very similar language to this. I use this and that other example because they're going to be very familiar to us. Uh, but if you keep reading throughout the Bible, you will see similar language to this being repeated numerous times in the New Testament. But in verse 3, he says, For what I received, I pass on to you. That's how Christianity works. I mean, to be completely honest, that's how Judaism worked as well. So uh, the faith in God, the true creator of all things, has always worked in the sense of whatever you receive, you pass on to those who are going to continue on after you. If you keep doing that generation after generation, what you're going to do is you're going to faithfully pass on these things that are important, the things that are at the heart of the gospel message, the things that are at heart to what God wants us to be doing. So Paul says, what I received, I pass on to you. That's what we need to be doing too. Whatever we receive, we need to pass on to the next generation um, as well. Now, how does that look? That can look several different ways. To Paul, it looked one way. To the apostles, you know, it, it looked uh, uh, similar to how it did with Paul. But there's another way in which I don't want us to overlook that this teaching can be carried on especially right now, because right now it can be different. You, uh, like evangelism, it can be different. The way that we proclaim the message about Jesus, uh, you might be thinking, well, I've stayed at home for months now and I'm not getting out very often. So how can I possibly proclaim this message to other people? Well, you might find different ways in which you can pro proclaim that still to people who you do come in contact with. 
And there can be maybe subtle things that you do along the way and just how you behave yourself, uh, most certainly how you act during this stressful time. Uh, it can show that you are anchored in this faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ um, dictates how you live your life and how you treat those people around you. But there's one way that I definitely want us to, to be holding on to right now, especially you who are, who are families. And that is by looking at our families and by teaching our families, by teaching this next generation to be faithful to God, by teaching them what the scriptures say. The Apostle Paul received that. And we get evidence that, that several of the apostles, in fact, I would even go so far as to say many of the apostles, maybe even most, perhaps even all of the apostles, grew up in families that knew the scriptures and taught the scriptures to them. But that's most certainly something we need to be doing too. To see an example of that, we can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, uh, without a doubt, you know verses 16 and 17. But keep in mind what, what uh, comes right before that. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, Paul is speaking uh, to Timothy and kind of about Timothy. And notice the type of family that Timothy grew up in. Now we know previous, I didn't put this on the slide, but we know previous to this that Timothy kind of uh, grew up in an interesting family. Uh, we find out that his mother and his grandmother uh, had faith. We also find out that his father is called a, a, a Gentile, and because of that, um, maybe his father never really accepted the way of Christ. We, we don't exactly know about all of that, but we do know that he was taught to be faithful, and he came from uh, a good family that at least the women in his family would teach him. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, we read this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you look at Timothy, if you look at the family that he came from, and we find out in verse 15 that from infancy he has known the Holy Scriptures. Let's make families like that today. Let's be families like that, that we teach from infancy these Holy Scriptures that can do great things in our lives. It's really our job. It has to do with following the apostles' teaching and being devoted to the apostles' teaching and passing this information on to those who will, who will continue on later. Okay, so now that's part of the worship of the early church is devoting to the apostles' teaching, but there's more. Remember uh, going back to Acts 2. We find out that uh, we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship. If you wanna know what it looks like for fellowship, um, there's dozens of passages that we could look at from the scriptures, but I really want us to look at Acts 2. When you look at Acts 2 right here, you get a, a great example of, of how they were having fellowship with one another and how, were, how they were devoting themselves to this fellowship. When you look at verse 44, you read that all the believers were together and had everything in common. Like I stated before, that doesn't mean that we have to do it exactly the same way because 
we see other examples. Other churches didn't always sell everything that they had uh, and just share everything in common. That didn't always work. In fact, a few years later, you find out that the Jerusalem church is in desperate need of financial support. So some of the Gentiles churches around, they pool their money in together and they donate money to this church at Jerusalem. So while the exact way that they fulfilled this and while they, they helped one another out and had this type of fellowship, um, it, it's important to take note of, it's not the only way that it could look like. But what it does see time and time again is that they care for those people who are part of the church. Recently, I kind of heard that, you know, how great it would be if the church would look at those, uh, especially within themselves, like within the church, those people who are Christians. If they were to look at one another, uh, not so much from kind of a business perspective, but from a family perspective. I mean, what would you do for a fellow family member? We are the family of God. Could we perhaps show that type of fellowship with one another, that type of family relationship with one another? We are the family of God. So how do they devote themselves with this fellowship? Verse 44, we find out that. We also see in verse 46, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Obviously, we're not going to have to meet in the temple courts. I mean, we can't even meet in the temple courts. The temple uh, of Jerusalem, it doesn't even exist anymore. And we're not in Jerusalem. But can we perhaps continue to meet together? They did it every day. You know, we typically see fit that, that we have a Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening gathering. The early church, from day one, they met every single day. They continue to meet. Well, okay, that's part of this fellowship. That's part of what they did. We need to make sure that we continue to meet together today as well. Um, maybe not exactly every single day, but let's make some type of habit of it. Let's continue to meet together. Let's continue to have this fellowship even whenever we can't always be in the same room together. We can still have this same fellowship. After all, look throughout the scriptures and you'll find in those writings that even though they weren't they're face-to-face. Yeah, they wanted to be face-to-face oftentimes, but even if they couldn't be face-to-face, they still had that fellowship working both ways with one another, and it was still very important. And we find out that um, also from verse 46, they not only continue to meet together, but they also were breaking bread in their homes, uh, and they were eating together. Now, here, breaking bread, and we're going to get into this also next, um, but uh, breaking bread together, um, that phrase, it can mean one of two things. It either means the Lord's Supper or it means just a common meal. And here, uh, I just believe that in verse 46, we see that what they're doing is that's a common meal. They're, they're eating together. Uh, that's just, that's what they did. They had meals together. They shared time together. And that's the same type of thing that we need to be doing too. And in this environment here, this type of fellowship, we read in verse 47 that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The early church was able to see daily growth by devoting themselves to the fellowship like this. What else did they devote themselves to and what else did they do? Well, the next phrase in verse 42 is to the breaking of bread. I mentioned in verse 46 that I believe that that breaking bread in the homes, that that is actually a meal. I think that in verse 42, what we're looking at is communion. Uh, because that, that is called the breaking of bread. And, and both of these, these two concepts, they do relate to one another about having this meal together and having this time together. But, you know, also devoting ourselves to this breaking of 
the bread, to coming together and celebrating what Jesus Christ did, the sacrifice that he gave for us, the breaking of bread, um, and then also the, the taking of, of the cup. That's what we do whenever we come together. And a very familiar passage, which I, uh, I, I'm not going to apologize to read because it's, it's one that we need to know. And it's, it's one that we, we need to read often. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. It's Paul speaking, and uh, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This, I believe, is this breaking of bread that we are called to devote ourselves to. This is something that we should still be doing today, is breaking of the bread together. Also, did you notice in verse 23 the language that he uses? He says, for what I received from the Lord, what I also passed on to you. So he received it and he passes it on. It's just like those apostles' teachings. This is part of what that is. And that is this breaking of bread together, this wonderful moment in which we can come together and be reminded on a weekly basis what Jesus Christ has done for us and a sacrifice that sustains us. Going back to Acts 2 now, we see the fourth and the final thing we're going to look at is they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, prayer can look uh, a lot of different ways depending on perhaps your schedule, your habit, and just kind of what suits you. I know that some some brothers of mine have, have kind of mentioned and suggested that they devote the very uh, first minutes of their day to prayer. With me personally, that's not exactly the greatest time for me to try to pray because whenever I first wake up, sometimes it takes me a little while to wake up. And I like to be more more alert whenever I pray to God. Whatever works for you, make sure you devote time to prayer. Yes, devoting time to prayer whenever we come together, that's important. But also specifically, you know, like you as a family or you as an individual, we need to be devoted to prayer. I want to share a passage that uh, just showed up in this past uh, Wednesday Bible study as we were finishing up 1 John chapter 5. Uh, this, this passage came to my mind whenever we were looking at this uh, to prayer. In 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, we read this, that John says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. So this passage tells us this confidence we can have in this prayer. Verse 14, I'll read this again. This is, this is crucial. I believe this is so important for us to, to not only recognize, but to remember and to actually pray, expecting these things. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I mean, that's wonderful confidence. This is the confidence that we can have in prayer. So, going back to Acts 2, one final time. We find out that the early church from day one, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to prayer. I believe we can do all of those things today. Yes, it might look a little different, 
we realize that it might look a little different from month to month, but we can still do these four things. Let's keep doing them. We want you back. We want you back. We want the sheep back in the fold. We want you back. We want you back. We want the coin back in its mold. Lost like a sheep that went astray or a son who dared to roam. Come, Come back to the faith. Come, Come back to your God. Come, Come back to the fold. We want you back. We want you back. We want the sheep back in the fold. We want you back. We want you back. We want the coin back in its mold. Oh, please don't stay there in the world, for it's temporary joys. Come back to the faith. Come back to your God. Come back to the fold. Come back to the fold. We want you back. We want you back. We want the sheep back in the fold. We want you back, we want you back, we want the coin back in its mold. Though you have wandered far away, you can come back to your home. Come back to the faith, come back to your God, come back to the fold.